Hello and welcome to the Wide Teams Podcast, the podcast for geographically dispersed teams and remote workers. Located on the web at wideteams.com and on Twitter at Wide Teams. This is Episode 7 for Monday, July 26th, 2010. I'm your host, Avdi Grimm. In this episode, you'll be hearing Part 2 of a Distributed Teams Roundtable recorded at BoConf. BoConf was an unconference within RailsConf 2010, hosted by the Be More on Rails community. In this concluding part of the discussion, the participants talk about video conferencing, balancing team collaboration time with solo work, optimizing virtual meetings, meeting deadlines, finding talent for their teams, and much more. I found this session very educational, and I hope you will as well. Four weeks old or something like that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, do you, uh, so on the remote end, do you guys use a lot of like video chat to do that? Like, I, I, I'm just, I feel like that would be really nice, but like the technology is just not there. I would assume. You know what? I would think so, and I have not used it at all until last Sunday when I was doing this um, internet problem solving contest. And Skype is really rock solid for this stuff at this point. I mean, you can just basically tap on someone's name, get video, it comes up, and it's just, it's been super fast, and it just works perfectly, and then you can hit screen share and then just take over someone's screen. It's all right there. And while I feel like that would be a huge distraction if we were doing it um, all day, every day, when we were working on this contest, I was working on it with James. Gray, and um, anytime we needed a collaboration point, we would IM each other first and say, when you get to a stopping point, give me a ring, and then say, okay, fine, and then uh, hit video, screen share if we needed to, uh, meet up on something, and then break back out, and that actually worked really good, and I'm going to try and bring it into my commercial work, um, because it seemed to work really well, and I wouldn't expect that, but one thing's for sure is that you want to do it if you can get a separate machine set up for that, so that it's not sort of taking over your your machine that's my fear with most of them, I'm just not an audio person I have a really hard time concentrating on phone calls for the full time but I have, if I have something to look at I can visually attach to that and I'm much more concentrated on it so like that kind of stuff and I can see how like type like campfire and all that stuff would be awesome I just was wondering about phone calls and stuff yeah I'm a huge fan of, of getting FaceTime you know better in person but uh, but you know if you can get video time um, the only t- issue with Skype is that you can only do it with one person at a time um, there are some ser- other services that are much lower quality than Skype where you can get more than one person on but uh, but yeah I think it's really good for the sort of one-on-one collaboration sort of things where if you need to talk to someone who has the information that you need and then quickly get something it works well for that but yeah if I have two screens and I have the bandwidth like you know I'm not experiencing connection difficulties I love to have have both uh, VNC and a video chat open, you know, on one screen and the other. I've got a, a bit of a question um, for people who work remotely and have you know clients remote, and no one has a central kind of office, right? Um, we all have lives, hopefully, outside of work, and something that we, we in this contract, we both both sides realize we're doing this poorly. Um, it's very asynchronous. I need something, and then you know, five hours later or two days later, maybe I'll get it back, and then I can get then I can go off and do you know whatever I need to do with it. Um, but there's some Sometimes that I need something to be more synchronous. I'm really blocked. I can't get anything done until I get that. And it's hard to say, you know, no, don't go to the gym or don't, you know, do dinner or whatever. So the the, the thing you were mentioning a little bit uh, before as far as, like, some of those strategies, if anyone has any thoughts or kind of strategies there as far as how you can, um, working with clients and or if you need from another developer or from whoever, when it's all remote, the, the balance between being an ass and being like, I need this right this second, like, I need it yesterday, get it done right now... 
basically. Yeah. I mean, what, what we do is we make sure that our team has at least a few hours of overlap, and we're there, and it's basically, okay, well, today I'm going to be doing some work, but I'm also available for anything that you need. And, I mean, I think meetings are death. When we first started having a fairly large team, it's not just me and the person that I'm subcontracting for. Um, we just basically decided, okay, these are the times that we're going to collaborate, and then these days we're going to be heads down. Um, we used to do daily meetings, and remotely that was horrible. I mean, because it was like people would just start inventing something to talk about because of the meetings. But if you say, okay, for these three hours, I'm going to make sure to work on things that are little things here and there, and you can always find stuff. Little bugs to fix, writing some tests, things like where, at most, it might take you 15 minutes to clear up what you're doing and then be interrupted. Um, giving yourself a time that you can be interrupted works well. And then, on the converse, giving yourself a lot of time where you say, don't expect to reach me during this period of time works pretty well. So almost office hours? Yeah, yeah. And we actually, um, well, we don't enforce it at all. People do their work whenever they want. We do all of our collaboration during times that are as close as possible to being uh, normal office hours for people. Like, So we're trying to make it so that people, when their wives or husbands or whoever get home, uh, they can just quit work at the end of the day. And we've actually seen skyrocket. You know, when we used to work a seven-day always-on schedule but work the same amount of hours, we broke it down to my team works Tuesday through Thursday, and we get more done in that three-day period than we did with the, because you just get that focus, and you know, okay, I'm going to burn through this in these three days, and then I'm going to go off and do something else for the rest of the time. Daily stand-ups, and then now you have just a time when you're all online, and so if you need a meeting, then anyone can get a hold of whoever needs to be in it, but necessarily a meeting? That's right. Uh, so we don't schedule meetings, we schedule availability times, and that's really actually much more natural because it's normally what will happen is there will be a day in which I need to start on a project to know what sort of questions I have, and then the people who I need to collaborate with that, I will schedule a time the day after or something like that, or a few hours after you, so, so either at the early morning or the end of the day, because if you do anything um, in the middle of the day, you know, it just breaks up your day. But then once I start doing that, then it's like, okay, can you be around for a few hours? I'll get you my initial questions. I'll try and fix it. You collab during that time, and then if not, you put it to the side if you don't finish it during that time, and then work on something else. So it seems to work pretty well. Yeah. You mentioned as far as I, I thought I forgot it before, but the I don't know exactly what you said, but the, the shipping deadline versus like shipping features. Because the, the problem is, you know, one feature lags, I'll start on something else, I'll have to go back to this, and especially when you're remote, coordinating all of that when there's 30 balls up in the air gets gets hard. So I like the idea of, you know, Monday we're shipping what we've got. We're going to go through the process. And if it's not done for whatever reason, it's not done. But I feel like you can at least kind of keep things more compartmentalized and, and keep everyone on track and you don't get the situation where you've got, is it on staging or is it on production or there's this bug here and things just kind of balloon out of control. So I, I, I'm definitely remember that's kind of related to this, but it's what good. What we do to have a little bit of organization around it is we'll do themes and basically, when we look at a schedule, I mean, clients do want estimates about budgets and things like that. We will write out the high-level features that we're doing and the iterations and have a theme for the iteration. So we're basically saying our focus is primarily going to be on this feature set. But if you don't bring, like, if you don't review things in time or if our team is tied up on something or if research takes longer than we're expected, we'll just start knocking away at the backlog on something else until something comes. And then sometimes we end up delivering something different than what we 
expected, but we always end up delivering value. You don't have what we used to have is a two-week iteration that turned into a four-week iteration that turned into a six-week, and you're still getting stuff done, but you don't really get to the point where you say ship it. You know, and if you set the deadline first, then and then it also puts a little bit of pressure in a good way on the customer because what you say a lot of times is our team will take a day or two after iteration started to get any questions out to the customer and then they can take as long as they want but I will send them reminders every couple days it's like well if we don't have the feedback on this then we can work on this stuff instead but we can't work on this until we hear from it so it'll have to be pushed to the next iteration and we found that we could do that with with a way that's respectful to the schedule because sometimes a client will take you up on that and say okay cool you can get this stuff done we'll tackle the other stuff next week but you do need to have a pretty close relationship with the customer and have good customers to be able to do that your questions instead of having like some urgent flag on email or however you communicate having a blocked flag where hey they know that you can't work on this until they get back to you I mean fine take two days but know that I'm not working on this for the next two days right like because right. I don't need it now but I can't do anything without the information you need to get, right so I don't know I, I don't know how well that would work because I feel like urgent's already like oh how urgent do you really mean <laughs> every bug is marked high yeah. like, and, and so you know there's, there's certain things I know how to kind of fix and explain and it makes sense when you explain it that if everything's high then you might as well not have it at all right, right? Um, but even I, part of that ties into the, the technology too that you know we've got rows and columns and Google Docs that are priorities and they're highlighted as red and then we have inventing colors and so I don't know this, this whole kind of talk at one point got me to think that there's there's a need for something better, a better base camp, a better something that's got multiple video chat logs of what you're doing, and I don't know. I, I had delusions of grandeur of building this new startup on that, and then I came to my senses. But um, but it's interesting. I think there's potential to do maybe even just a small piece of that. Well, you know, um, we're trying to do now. I mean, we found a few tools that we really like, something like Pivotal and things like that. But um, the, my friend Jordan, who co-works with me and does contracting work with me. Um, he and I are actually going to start up a product company as trying to just bootstrap it, but um, we're just taking vertical slices because the grand vision doesn't exist. But I mean, I know that as soon as I started to get to the point where I make, I spend part of my time managing and then I make my, a commission on profits of other people's work, that and also I'm responsible for making sure that those people are making enough money in the course of a week, um, that I need better tools to be able to make sure that we could do that because it's better for them it's better for me um, and actually I've seen projects fall apart because of underutilized available development hours that have been applied to the wrong place at the wrong time so I mean we're, we're actually going to start building tooling around that um, tying time tracking to budgeting and analysis and trying to get it the hell out of the way of the developers because any time tracking tool I've ever used in my whole life has been terrible um, and I mean we're trying to skirt the problem by just basically integrating the time tracking to the developer workflow and then making the, a tool, a web-based tool for managers to use that could be out of the way of the developers. Um, and the other things I mentioned are along those lines, too. We're just starting with the things that piss us off the most, figuring the worst case possible is that we sell no copies, we fix our own problem. You know? <laughs> um, as far as... Um wide teams go and I'm in a situation right now where I could probably give Ruby developers work but not at the 80, 90, 100 plus an hour that 
a lot of people might kind of come to expect. Um, but I don't find that a lot of younger people in college, for instance, are hacking out of Ruby, at least maybe around here, maybe I just don't know them. Um, so I'd be curious if people have experience working with um, like subcontracting to people in various other countries farther away than Spain. So maybe well, Spain as well, but uh, Thailand or people that you know, there's a team in uh, Georgia, and you know. Um, um, I've had a lot of work uh, in which charging $150 an hour to undo the damage that that has done. Um, so there's, I mean, and and actually coming in at lower budgets overall because you you know something if you if you're looking at a project you can make a relatively simple project into a monstrosity by uh, not designing it right in the first place and then not properly maintaining it and doing all those sort of things and actually a good deal of our business including how I got into this in the first place was people hiring me on to undo the damage that other people have done though I really wish that there was a better system to have some sort of fair trade mechanism applied to software development because there are definitely awesome software developers who you can pay the equivalent wage in their country to have the same standard of living as people here and benefit from the cost reduction while still getting high quality people and there just isn't a good system to do it right now a couple places that we've we've hired um off i think odesk.com we've hired uh, some iphone developers and had some good success with that you know and it's really it's all about really understanding like at a greater level than you normally would what you're trying to build before you do it and documenting documenting and setting up the framework for what you want to build and letting them just kind of fill in the cracks um and then also services like like PSD to HTML, if anyone's used that. I mean, I think they outsource all their their work, and they've gone through the trouble of, like, finding all the really reliable people and, you know, getting them to work within a certain structure, and you just kind of put it in one end, and the HTML comes out the other. It works really great. But, like, I don't want to be the one having to vet all those people, because I'm sure to get the hundred good people they have, they went through thousands. Right. So, so it can work, but it's, it's you, you get in what you put out, I think. You can't just go on to Elance and be like, ah, sure, low speed, let's go. Right, right, right. One thing that you could do is look to open source people and people who are active in the community, um, because I mean, I actually saw uh, there was there was a guy and I looked at his profile and he he was writing about how he used to do design web design work for like fifteen dollars an hour or ten dollars an hour, and he had this amazing profile, but he just had no idea that because he's like, to be honest, fifteen dollars an hour is way better than the rest of these people in Mexico are making, and he's just like, but I mean, he was obviously being taken advantage of, and that's a and this, so you have that other side of the spectrum, and unfortunately, I think there's probably a lot of really talented people stuck in that sort of relationship. Well, that happens too at the college level. You're near a campus, you can pay people like intern wages for some decent work, but then I mean, it's it's a much bigger risk for them as well, right? You could end up not being able to do the work they need done. So I don't know how that works out, but I, I see these guys taking on you know seven, eight dollar an hour jobs, and you're like, you are getting great. Uh, sorry for the French. It's a learning experience, though, right? Like, like you do that once, and hopefully, it's like um, a really cheap business school lesson for you, like to move on and you know get a better rate. That we've been experimenting with, which has been working really well, but it might be just because we tend to work with people that we already know or trust, or at least have a direct contact with in some way or another. Is that we're completely tra- transparent about the rate structure all the way down from the top, the outgoing rate. I subcontract and run 
a local team for another company. But we know what everybody's rate is and exactly what the profit margins are on everything and things like that. And we judge things entirely on the profits. That's the only thing that we look at on a project. And we try to balance it out. Like my unit, you know, we have an X percent profit margin that we've agreed to. Um, and it seems to work really well because it, if you show people the whole process as well and you look at how it might be true that an hour or two worth of work for me uh, that I'm making a lot more than our junior developers are, but that might create 10 hours of work for them that they wouldn't be able to do if I didn't do that. And we've actually just tried to be very transparent about it and it's work. But I think that, that if you're looking for market rate, you know, people who are competing for market rate, I don't think that that would work. If you're looking for people who, even though they're not employees, they're contractors remotely working together, and you want a long-term relationship with them, then you can, by showing all the cards on the table, um, put everyone's best interest in mind. Thanks for listening to the Wide Teams podcast. Tune in again next week when I'll be bringing you more interviews all about geographically dispersed organizations. And don't forget to check out wideteams.com for articles, screencasts, and links to the latest news in the realm of distributed teams and remote work. If you enjoyed this episode, or if you have a comment, question, or suggestion, please visit the site and leave some feedback. Until next week, this is Avdi Grimm, signing off.